Hey everyone, I'm Jacob Lewis, and you are listening to Neighbors, a show about what connects us. Cariad is out working on other projects currently, and I wanted to bring you another story I produced when I went to Germany a couple of years ago as a part of a official Sister Cities delegation from Nashville. Pretty big deal. Nashville and Magdeburg, or Magdeburg, I've heard it both ways, Germany, are sister cities. But I took some time to visit some other places in Germany when I was there because I was born there. I answer a ton of questions about that in this piece that I'm about to play you, so let's just get into it. This was produced with the Goethe Institute as part of the Big Pond series in the Year of German-American Friendship under the motto, Wunderbar Together. Here is Finding My Parents. (laughs) So what you just said. (laughs) I'm just wondering if your mom ever took these trains between Frankfurt and Wolfersheim for um, doctor's appointments and stuff. Probably not this one, but... (laughs) Yeah, that's just what I was wondering. This is my wife, Catherine. We're on a train outside of Frankfurt, Germany. I can't get over just how much the countryside looks like where I grew up, in rural Missouri. Rolling green and yellow fields with rows of trees for windbreaks. We're headed toward a small town known as Wolfersheim. It's where my mom and dad lived when they were in their early 20s. They both grew up in Missouri, and they both live there now. But in the late 80s, my dad was in the U.S. Army and was stationed in a small German town called Friedberg. And it was there in 1986 where my mom got pregnant with me. She is probably lonely and scary. I didn't realize that I would be alone so much because he was on exercises all over Europe. I would say mom was probably alone 60% of the time, maybe a little bit more. That's right. Yeah, uh, the first year it was more. He was there maybe three months of the 12. But then after that, it was not as, not as bad. But I would say she was alone 60 to 70% most of the time. I'm Tanya Lewis. I'm 53 years old and a second grade teacher. And how are you related to me? I'm your mother. <laughs> I love you. Uh, I'm Floyd Lewis. I'm almost 55 Christmas Day. And I'm your father. That's mom and dad. They've told me stories about Germany my entire life, like how I got my name. It's Jacob, J-A-K-O-B. That's the German spelling. Jakob is what they say. You see, there was an ad painted on a wall across from my parents' apartment in Wolfersheim, Germany. It was for a furniture company called Jakob & Sons. They liked the name, so here I am, Jacob with a K, even though everyone in Germany told them it was an old man's name. Now let me cover the usual questions I get. No, I don't speak German. No, I don't have dual citizenship because I was born in a U.S. military hospital. And I was only in Germany for a whopping six months before my parents moved back to the U.S., ultimately to a small town in Missouri. So when Catherine and I got the opportunity to visit Germany, it was exciting. 
It was going to be part reporting trip, partly to celebrate our 10-year wedding anniversary, but there was also this feeling like this was going to be a pilgrimage. A pilgrimage to connect with my parents' experience. What I didn't foresee was just how connected our experience would be. On a cold, gray afternoon, three weeks before we left for Europe, I was sitting in a CVS parking lot with my heart racing. My wife was inside on a mission, while I scanned through the radio stations, waiting for what seemed like an eternity. Finally, the automatic doors opened. Catherine looked down as she walked toward me and tried to contain a little smirk developing on her face. She calmly got in and just showed me a picture on her phone. On the screen was a little white stick with one word. Pregnant. At that time, I mean, there was no sticks to, you know, take your early pregnancy test or anything like that. So you'd go to the doctor and you'd pee in a cup and they would test it and they would tell you if you're pregnant. And everyone that worked in the clinic was military. This lady uh, that's in camouflage, you know, she's working there and she goes the rabbit died or something like that. And I guess they used to use rabbit. I I don't know the context really, but I'm like, what? And she goes, you're pregnant. Is that, is that good or bad? And I started crying. (laughs) I'm like, I don't know. Cause I I was just emotional. Cause you know, we weren't of course planning. Uh, That was not our plan. There's got to be some German word for that feeling when you find out you were a surprise. My parents were in their early 20s and did not plan to get pregnant. My wife and I are in our early 30s and were in fact trying. My mom and dad were newlyweds. Catherine and I have been married for a decade. But as we rolled through the German countryside and my wife had full-blown morning sickness, I was able to see my mother in a different way. I imagined her young, excited and clueless, watching the rolling hills and windmills. Suddenly I felt like I was on the next cycle of a longer journey. I had a felt sense of participating in the great lineage of humanity, passing down some mix of genetic code and story. I was looking for something. All right, this is the uh, Friedberg Rathaus. I don't know, Friedberg uh, City Hall. Here we go. Hey, does anyone here speak English? Yes. Yes, you do? Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm a journalist Mm -hmm. from uh, the United States, Mm -hmm. and um, I'm doing a story for the Goethe Institute Mm -hmm. about uh, my father was stationed here uh, in the, for the U.S. Army, like 31 years okay. ago. And I wanted to talk to anybody if they remembered uh, what it was like back then. You, is there anybody at City Hall? Um, yes, we have, but um, today um, the people we have uh, we have a meeting. Okay. And uh, you need to go. Uh, you need to have uh, an appointment. Uh, uh, yes, appointment. Yes, I think in the next week. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, I'm not going to be here next week, so... Oh. That's okay. Um, do you know where the, ba- the military base... There's bureaucracy here, too. A kind woman behind a counter directed me to leave this building because they primarily dealt with the school system, and that I should go to another building where she thinks someone could help me. 
Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you. Danke. Bye. -bye. Well, I don't even know what I'm looking for, but I'm looking. Well, uh, we had just gotten married, and we were on our way back to Colorado Springs at Fort Carson, where I was stationed, and um, we I went back to work, and I had orders to go to Germany. But the problem was, we haven't. Uh, we just got married, so the orders came down as a single person going and not a married couple because we haven't registered that with the uh, the government yet, with the army. So what does that mean? That means that I had to go unaccompanied tour until I get the paperwork turned in to bring your mom over. It was just me going over and. Uh, basically living in the, in the barracks for a while until I could find housing and, and uh, get your mom over there. I don't know why they sent him over there right before Christmas because he just sat for three weeks, basically. They don't do a lot in the military around the holidays. And so he gets there, he celebrates his 21st birthday in the barracks. You know, he it, it was depressing for both of us basically but um i didn't get to go over until about mid-march of 85 and um, he had secured um, housing they call it housing on the economy meaning he did not get housing in a military facility like on base or a military area where they have apartments but it was out in a German community and that little community was about 12 kilometers from Friedberg where he was stationed which by the way was where Elvis was stationed and it was a little village called Wolfersheim and um, there was a little castle there and it was just a, a quaint cute little village my mom spent a lot of time alone in Wolfersheim. That's because it was the Cold War. My dad would be called out on countless exercises. He was a mortarman, driving an armored personnel carrier. His unit would mobilize to the border between West and East Germany. It was nerve-wracking for both my mom and dad because they never knew if it was a drill or a real threat. We would load up the vehicles and uh, start heading through the countryside of Germany heading for the border. Going through these little towns and uh, down the Autobahn. I mean, it was, we would just just take over Germany basically and, and go. Uh, you can about imagine if you had over 100 tanks plus all these support vehicles and different things, uh, there's going to be some damage to the countryside. Sometimes we'd go through these little towns, villages. We get new tank drivers in, or you know they're tired or whatever. Sometimes we're up, you know, 24, 30 hours, you know, doing stuff, and uh, we would actually run into bridges. We would run into people's houses with tanks. We'd hit their livestock. We would, you know, tear up the roads. Um, it wasn't on purpose. big joke was don't hit a chicken because uh, you have to pay for that chicken and the number of chickens it would produce in like 10 years and the number of eggs it would produce in 10 years so uh, the big joke was the farmers never locked their chickens up 
<laughs> they they were hoping to get to get them run over so they can get the compensation for that. Hi, good morning. Good morning. Hi. How are you? Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. I'm I'm, what is your name? Secret. Secret. Yeah. Okay, I'm Jacob. Okay. And this is my wife, Catherine. Hi. Nice to meet you. So nice to meet you. After so going you to another building, I was in a government office with four women. Secret spoke the best English, so she took charge. She told me the military base where my dad was stationed was closed. It was called Ray Barracks. The German government owned it, and it was unlikely I was going to get in on my timeline. So I asked her, what was it like back in the late 80s to have a U.S. military base in her town? I pictured my dad sitting alone on a metal bed frame celebrating his 21st birthday, while Sigurd was out at a restaurant with all her friends. It was very scary for us when we were young. Because there were a lot of uh, at the beginning of the month, there were a lot of trouble with Americans in oh. the in the town. Like <laughs> when what? They got money, in, and oh. they went to the to the bars, <laughs> got money drinking German beer, and then uh, there were a lot of trouble. But um, <laughs> that's what I remember. That's funny because my dad taught me one German phrase, and it's "Ein Bier bitte." Ein Bier, yeah. That means one beer, please. Uh, the German beer is not uh, similar like the American beer, so it's very difficult. We have more alcohol in, and it's very um, hard when uh, they drink it the first time. So uh, th- that's what I remember. But uh, would you say that's kind of was the town's opinion typically? Like, was that kind of because uh, because I in America, I've never had another country like occupy the space. So I'm curious, is that like, feel like, hey, get off my, get out of my country? Or like, does it, no? No, no, no. for us when we were young, it was normal that a lot of people from America were here. And also a lot of Germans had jobs in the barracks and worked there in the kitchen, in um, cleaning, I don't know, a lot of things. The taxi drivers earned a lot of money with Americans when they drove to Frankfurt or back. So... uh, yeah, I think it was, for us, it was normal. It was no problem. I remember my dad telling me that the same barber that cut Elvis's hair cut his hair. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we have this barber story every year here. <laughs> around around the uh, 16th of August, when Elvis was, uh, I, don't, I don't know, was his birthday? No, it was the day when he died. It's always a very, very big festival here in this area. I used to believe everything my parents told me. And then I realized just how adults talk to children and how family stories evolve over the retelling and how unreliable memories can be. So I thought I'd do a little test. I asked Sigrid about the tanks driving through the town. Because always after the, um, uh, the tanks drove through the t- cities, there were so many houses broken and uh, the streets broken. And afterwards, always the, the reconstruction was uh, made from the workers. And uh, when they are finished, the next tanks came. (laughs) All right, that checks out. The one thing was transportation, because we were a little far out. Um, The military, uh, especially at that time, they still do have them, but they they used to call them boneyards. they were uh, cars that were... Boneyards. For sale. They were essentially the army's used car lots. When someone left Germany, they'd sell their car, and then some new schmuck like my dad would buy it. I think I gave $500 for our first car. It was an Audi. Um, 
It was orange, and it was an Audi 100. I think that's what it was. These things were clunkers, and usually had been around for a while, passed from one new recruit to another. They were rusted out and covered in patches of a gray substance called Bondo to fill in the holes and keep the thing from falling apart. And it was probably 75% Bondo, <laughs> literally. Stick shift. I, I bought it and took it home. I was not acquainted with a standard um, shift, you know, driving a standard vehicle. <laughs> I would stall out at the stop signs, and Germans like to use their horns. They use their horns and their lights a lot. So that was frustrating for me. I'm like, I'm trying my best. <laughs> that one uh, finally bit the dust, and then I got a, a green Audi 5000. That's what was there. Um, it was 60% Bondo. Yeah, it was probably 60% <laughs> Bondo. But it, it was a better car. It was a bigger car. Um, and that was the car that we had that when you were born. My parents brought up vehicles a lot. I think it's just something tangible we can talk about, like work or the weather. I also think it was a genuinely large anxiety for my mom. My dad had one day one day to find an apartment off base, give my mom a car, teach her to drive it, and then leave again for war games. She told me stories of how someone smashed their windshield with a beer bottle one night, and how one day my mom was driving down the road, and all of a sudden the hood came off and flew over the car. She said an old German woman on a bicycle stopped, pulled it off to the side of the road, and then kept going. These kinds of problems made my parents dependent on the world around them, particularly one of their neighbors, one of the few people from that time they mentioned by name. Um, and this is a very long shot, but um, they said that their neighbor was a guy named Peter Reeb, and he owns an auto body shop in Wolfersheim. Reeb Auto Body. Does that ring a bell? No, no. No? Robertsheim is not my, but I can, I can uh, check. First of all, Sigrid is the hero of this story. She is an angel. Secondly, it's just so interesting to me to think about my parents in their early 20s. I think about the people that surrounded me during that time. When I first got married, I painted houses. My wife and I were barely making rent and eating a lot of ramen noodles. My painting boss one day gave us a gift card to a chain Italian restaurant. We thought we'd died and gone to garlic bread heaven. Peter Reeb was one of those characters in my parents' life, just an ordinary guy that showed them simple kindness. He was an auto body guy, worked in an auto body shop. So he was a big help when trying to figure out with, when my car would lose a piece of Bondo. I don't know if we ever had him over for dinner. I think, no, probably not. Um, he was busy. He was, he was young, and, and he was a very um, good-looking guy, dark hair. You know, he was young then, dark mustache. Um, wore he lots of leather. Wore lots of leather, dressed. He, he was always going out. He was never home, really. Um, you he know, liked, he, he liked the disco. And he had a dog. I think it, I, I would call it a Rottweiler, probably, that was— It was a Doberman. Oh, a Doberman. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, that's true. It was. What was his name? Reeb, R-E-E-B. Should I call it? Will I find my parents' neighbor? Find out after a short break.
What was his name? Reeb, R-E-E-B. Should I call it them for you? For you or? Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. Stadt Friedberg, guten Tag. Ich habe hier ein äh, amerikanisches Paar stehen, die suchen einen Peter Reeb, neben dem äh, deren Eltern... Sigrid got a hold of Peter. He lives in a small town nearby called Barstadt. She convinced him that we weren't trying to scam him or steal from him, and he said he'd love to meet us. Here we got taxis galore. Here. I got taxis for days. Taxis for days on days. Taxis on taxis on taxis. Hello. How are you? Um, can you take us to that address in... Yeah. Yeah? Okay. Thank you. A man named Khan asked us a lot of questions, like, why do you have that microphone, while he drove us to Barstadt. Yeah, that, that white building right there, that says Reeb, that's this guy's last name, and it's a. He, I know he has an auto body shop. So I don't. What I don't know is is this the shop or is this his house? But I think, yeah. Let's drop me off at this white building right here. <gasps> hey, puppy. Two puppies. Hi. Hello. Hello. I'm. I'm looking for Peter Reeb. Are you yeah. Peter? I'm Peter Reeb. Hi, Peter. I'm uh, Jacob Lewis. Yeah. Floyd and Tanya's um, son. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Sie können was heißen? Catherine. Ach so, your name is Catherine. I'm Peter. Yes, this is my wife. Ach so. So we can do this if you'd like. I hold up my phone, showing him Google Translate. I tried to ask him something complicated that I don't even remember, and he said. I don't understand. You don't understand? Uh, yeah. okay, this? So as I started to try again, he said, uh, Will we go uh, coffee, drink? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Come to yeah. my hands. And okay. He directed us to a little kitchen and made us coffee. This is Lucky and this is Minos. He shows us his two dogs, Lucky and Milos. He recently adopted them from Greece. Nine months old. Oh, okay. Little dog. Also. And in my time in Wölversheim, where your father, I had Dorman. Dorman? I had Dorman, you know. In the time I lived in Wölversheim. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, genau. Oh. Jeffrey was his name. Oh. The Jeffrey, yeah. How long ago did he die? Uh, he died in 1999. He was 16 years old. How old? 16 years. 16? No, 16, doch 16, genau. 16 years. 16. Also, 1, 6, 16? 1, 6? Mm-hmm. 16 is yeah. very old. Yeah. Very old for, for a big dog. We willingly struggled through about a half hour of conversation. But overall, Peter was a jolly, hospitable guy. He had fluffy gray hair, a round gut, and that faint smell of grease that you would expect from a car guy. He offered to drive us around to see my parents' old apartment. And he started to get excited. Hello, Tanya. Hello, Floyd. Um, for 13 years, I was a small man. <laughs> and yes, I'm a big man. <laughs> hey, so is Floyd. Uh. Floyd's a big man. <laughs> we eat hamburger and uh, cheeseburger and oh, sugar, and, uh, you say sugar. And, and beer. Beer, genau, beer. <laughs> Very good, yeah. What I loved the most about Peter was that his memory was similar to my parents. He didn't remember a lot about their personalities or things they talked about, 
But across three decades, he remembered my dad's car. Audi 100, he was, the color was green and the car was broken. <laughs> and we drive the car in my garage. Right? Garage, no. We drive the car in the garage and we make it okay. In college, I remember finding a box of photos from Germany. There was one that struck me the most. It was a small print, three by five, of some red tulips. To me, it made my parents more human. I asked about it, and my mom said that they took a trip to the tulip fields in Amsterdam. Tulips as far as the eye could see, they said. They brought some bulbs back and planted them in front of their apartment. I just love thinking of my mom excitedly turning over the soil, starting a new life embarking on marriage and motherhood. It's hopeful, and I hoped that some tulips might still be there. Tulip? Totengarten hätten. Here. Yeah, he you, was you, here, he was yeah? here. Just, and now I see some, some flowers, but no tulips. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, good. Many times, certain years. But it's the same. Yeah. This house, this house, the garden is the same we for 13 years. As church bells rang out, I held up some photos from 33 years ago of my parents' apartment. It really did look identical. In fact, the sky was the same shade of gray. Ah, to the back. We walked to the back, and there was a small balcony. Oh, wow. I have a picture of my mom waving off that balcony. Yeah, look. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an old picture. That's that's my mom on that balcony. Yeah, yeah, sister, yeah. Wow. For 13 years. Wow. Floyd and Tanya will be happy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Then I can take the oh, picture. Oh, one more picture? Yeah. Okay. But over. I want to get the same. Okay. My wife got a picture of me holding the picture of my parents' apartment with the exact scene in the background. It's pretty cool. Bahnhof? Yeah. Yeah? Oh, danke. Say it again. He was so nice. It's funny, you know, on our way up here and even talking to that woman, it was kind of... I think we both had this, like, bleak feeling of, like, it must have been really sad and lonely for your parents, especially your mom. But after talking to him, and it's like, nah, they're fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm gonna turn this thing off. Let's get something to eat. Let's walk around Friedberg. Catherine and I explored an old castle. We ate at a tiny restaurant where I had some of that strong German beer Ziegred was talking about. It was an important day for our lives. We were human beings. So was Peter Reeb. And so were my parents. That was amazing to me. And to see that you were standing in front of the, where we used to live, um, that you got to walk the same streets we walked. And, you know, because we had a little um, path we would walk. We would go to the uh, Italian ice shop and get ice cream and walk back home and walk around the little village. And so, yeah, very, very exciting. What was it like to see those pictures? Well, it, was, it, was, it was exciting because... First of all, Peter really changed. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of like me. He's got a lot, lot, lot bigger and a uh, lot, lot grayer. But um, my favorite picture was with you standing in front of the old house, holding up your cell phone with the original picture 
of the house that we had and it really hadn't changed really that much at all but it was just i was just thrilled that you were able to get to do it and um one thing that i think is an interesting correlation is like uh, the fact that Catherine is pregnant uh over there so what was that like to, to find that out well, we were we were over the moon excited that that you were pregnant. We're sorry that she was sick while she was there, but yeah, that was really cool to find out that she was actually there when she was pregnant, and that I was pregnant with you there. I mean, it took. I think it took a while to process when you told us that. Oh, by the way, we're gonna have a baby in June, and we're like, ah! <laughs> it was. Uh, we were very, very excited, but kind of uh, shocked, I think. We were very shocked, very excited. Now they're worse excited to be grandparents again. Yeah. So, very exciting. Well, I mean, one thing we instantly said that you guys were going to be great parents. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Don't cry. <laughs> Don't cry. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we, we love. My dad's parents died when he was young. His mom when he was a teenager, and his dad shortly after I was born. I never knew them. I highly doubt his dad told him he was going to be a good parent. Maybe he thought it, but having a little insight into how my dad was raised on a pig farm in Missouri, I just don't think he was ever told something like that. And in the end, I think that's what I was looking for. A connection, a blessing, some indication that I'm doing this thing called life rightly. That we, Catherine, myself, and now our son, are going to be okay. And there's something about the fragility, the uncertainty, and just the ordinariness of where they were when I entered into this world that gives me hope. Nächster Halt, Brückenbrücken. Ausstieg in Fahrtrichtung rechts. Thanks to the members of the Neighborhood on Patreon. That is our clever name for our Patreon community. If you want to support the show and telling stories like this and future ones and keep us going, keep the lights on, um, you can throw us a few bucks at patreon.com slash neighbors. You can join our kind, intelligent, and thoughtful community there as well as get a few extra things. I'll even add there was a guy this past week that doubled his pledge amount. Uh, Christopher Maston, thank you so much for doubling your pledge amount. You can tell I've done some public radio um, pledge drives. That's so funny. Maybe we should get tote bags. Maybe that's what I need to do. Our Sonic logo that you hear at the very top of the show is from Dallas Taylor at DeFacto Sound. Uh, they're, they're crazy good. They do like movies and commercials and all sorts of stuff. But they have a podcast called 20,000 Hertz that I highly recommend you check out. Music is by the Blue Dot Sessions, and this song is by Dan Burns. Neighbors is hosted and produced by me and Carrie Ed Harmon. Leave us a rating in Apple Podcasts so we can live in a Black Mirror society where we dole out digital approval on one another as our main source of currency. I'm Jacob Lewis, and I'm reminding you to get to know your neighbors. Neighbors.